much like you and I in a local church who went through challenges and difficult times, and yet they grew through them by the grace of God. Now, let me tell you something this morning. Success is not going to be decided during the times of blessing. Wouldn't it be great if we could define our life simply by the high points? For us men who played high school football, maybe that is a defining moment of your life. Unfortunately, even for men in their 40s and 50s, that's one of the high points of their life. We still talk about the high school championship that we won, or for you ladies, I don't know what it is. Maybe you won best dressed or something in high school. I don't know what it is that you aspire for. But you look back and we want to define our lives by the high points. But can I tell you the truth? Success is not defined in blessings. Our success is determined in the battles. That's when who we are will be found out. And that is what we accomplish for God. That's when it will be decided. Not on the good days, but how we handle the bad days and the challenges that we go through. You think about your marriage. Every marriage in here, I would dare say this morning, has gone through difficult times. Your marriage and the success of your marriage is not going to be decided when you're on vacation in the mountains. Those are the good times. You're up in, I don't know, Pigeon Forge, wherever it is you go, and you're thinking, boy, if if it could always be this way, how often do we say that? If we could just live here, right? If you could just live there, I promise you, you'd find problems in Pigeon Forge too. The success of our homes and our marriages is not decided in the mountains. No, it's decided back home in the valleys. That's when the success of your marriage will be decided. That's when the success of a church will be decided. It's during the challenging times. Proverbs 24.10. I'm going to give you a little longer introduction but a shorter message. Proverbs 24.10, the Bible says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Now think about the end of that verse, thy strength is small. The verdict on your strength is not decided on your good days. Wouldn't it be great if the verdict of who we are and how God views us and our eternal reward were only on the good days? Wouldn't that be great? I mean, wouldn't wouldn't it be great if the day you led somebody to Christ, that's what he looked at? Or maybe it was the day that, you know, everything was going well and nothing went wrong. No, no. The Bible says, if thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. The verdict will be decided in the day of adversity. The difficult times, the challenging times, that's when the success of the will of God for your life is going to be decided. And we've got to make the right decisions in the midst of difficulty if we are going to make a difference not only in our homes, but in the world that God's called us to influence. So this morning we have a very simple thought. That I think we're going to see right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 on choosing to overcome the challenge. Choosing to overcome the challenge. Romans 8.37, the Bible says, nay, in all things, we are more than conquerors. The Bible says we're going to face challenges. Listen, we wouldn't be called conquerors if there weren't things we were going to have to conquer. Right? If he tells us to take the whole armor of God, I bet it means we're going to have to fight for something. If he tells us that we're going to have to fight, not as one that beateth the air. At some point, we're going to have to put up a fight. At some point, we're going to be challenged in the will of God for our life. And we have got to choose to overcome the challenge. And we're going to look at a church this morning, the church at Corinth. This is, I thought this was more of a Wednesday night message. The Lord led this to this morning. And we're going to preach it exactly the way God says preach it. And we're going to look at a church this morning who is facing challenges 
And we're going to see how they overcame them, if we could. Look down, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, <clears throat> it's following up on something that I believe happened in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you notice as you read down, <clears throat> you look down, let's see, let's pick up in verse number 7. The Bible says, so that contrary wise, you ought rather to forgive, watch this, him, and comfort him. Lest perhaps such a one, speaking of one, it's speaking about someone. Look at verse 8. Wherefore I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. <clears throat> so obviously in, in 2 Corinthians, it's talking about an individual, and I believe it's the individual back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was a young man in an incestuous relationship, just immoral. As a matter of fact, turn there with me if you will. We'll look at it together. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. Watch what happened. Verse 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. Now, once again, can I ask you, who was this letter written to? A church. We're talking about a church. <clears throat> now, to be honest with you, uh, there's times we have problems at our church. I'm thankful we don't have that one. I'm thinking, man, I'm glad I'm not that pastor. Hey, there are some days I'm like, man, you know, there's some things we got to work through. But I'm looking at this. Man, they had a challenge to overcome. Watch the church's response in verse 2. We're not preaching on this, but I want to show you the challenge they were facing. The Bible says, and you're puffed up and have not rather mourned. He hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Boy, this church was facing a challenge. This young man had taken his father's wife. And now the church is not even ashamed of it. We see that happening in America today. The church is not ashamed of sin anymore. The Bible says they were puffed up about it. That means they were defensive about it. But watch this. Now we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. <clears throat> Something happened. The Bible says in verse 7, they should forgive him. They're talking about, I believe, this young man, verse 8, that you show or prove and confirm your love toward him. Now pay close attention. So in chapter, 1 Corinthians, they faced this challenge of this young man in immorality. Now they're facing another challenge in chapter number 2 because now Paul says this. Watch what he says, verse 7. So that contrary wise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. So he had committed this great sin. The Bible says that they had separated from him, separated fellowship with him, and now he has been humbled, he's come back, and now the Bible says, watch, you should forgive him. So the challenge that they faced, watch this, the challenge that they went through, now they're facing another challenge. Now he's talking to the church, and now he says to the church, you ought to welcome him back in or restore him. That's why, number one, I want to show you how to overcome a challenge and how you choose to overcome a challenge by noticing the first thing. Notice a call to restore. A call to restore. <clears throat> now stick with me. You're going to get this in a minute. You say, well, why are we preaching on fornication? Not preaching on fornication. What we're preaching on was <clears throat> here was a church that faced a challenge. And now he is showing them how to overcome the challenge, and it is through restoration. This is important. you got to get this this morning. One of the greatest casualties of challenging times is closeness. One of the greatest challenges, or greatest casualties to, to challenging times is closeness. When you go through a challenge, it begins to help us to drift apart. Give an example. Adam and Eve were close to God. 
We know at least the idea that he came down in the cool of a day. I think they had close fellowship with him. But then after they sinned, the Bible says that, that God comes down and he couldn't find them. He knew where they were at. But now that fellowship had been broken. There was a separation from God. Why? Challenging times. Here they come. They know the will of God. And now Satan comes along and there's temptation. And watch this. They failed the challenge. They, they didn't stand up in the challenge. They didn't make it through the challenge. And now there is not that closeness with God as there ought to be. I can tell you something. Listen to me, Central Baptist Church. As we face challenging times, the temptation is for the challenge to, to be a, a, a cause to be a casualty of our closeness. That's why Paul says, watch this. Paul says, pull it back in. Get it close together. You think about Peter. Peter, once zealous follower of Christ. He even pulled out a sword and chopped off an ear, defending Christ. And yet not long later, we find Peter, what does the Bible say? Following afar off. Following afar off. Here's what Paul is saying in this chapter. This young man and the challenge that this caused within the church at Corinth. He says, listen to me, now it's time to pull it back in close. It's time for restoration. I want you to understand something. It doesn't matter if it's between you and your husband, you and your children, or you and a neighbor or a friend. Challenging times will challenge any relationship and the closeness of that relationship. And how do we choose to overcome the challenge that comes to us, the difficulty? How do we choose that? Well, the same thing that Paul is saying. Paul says you've got to restore that. You've got to pull it back together. One of the most difficult choices that we'll face in challenging times is pulling everything back together when everything falls apart. You ever had a day where you felt like everything fell apart? Nothing was going right. I mean, you look at your kids and you can't believe that your DNA is in them. And the truth of the matter is they're acting the way they are because our DNA is in them. It's a fallen DNA. And nothing seems to be going right in our life. And one of the most challenging things to do is to pull everything back together. I'll give an example. Several years ago, I discovered something called Tannerite. Anybody here know what Tannerite is, all right? I figured a lot of our men, teenage boys, would know exactly what that is. Uh, it is a legal explosive. It's a binary explosive. And you take the two parts of that explosive and you mix them together. You can buy it at Academy Sports. Why it's not outlawed, I do not know. I figure the government, they don't, just don't know about it yet, and they probably do now because they're watching our live stream. My brother and I bought some of that Tannerite, and we decided, we found an old dishwasher at our property, our family property. We decided to blow it up. Why? I don't know. I'm a country boy. And uh, I wanted to blow up this thing. My brother wanted to blow up. He thought it was a good idea. The Bible says let everything be established by two witnesses. He voted yay. I voted yay. Let's blow it up. We get the dishwasher. We put it out there in mom and dad's yard. We put it up on a brick to really maximize the uh, expansion of the explosive when it went off. We put about, I don't know, about a cup of that stuff. You mix it up, put it over in there. And the way you set it off is with a bullet, a high-powered bullet. You shoot it, boom, and it blows up. So we put it out there in the yard, got back behind a tree because we didn't know what was going to happen, put our scope on the dot, pull the trigger. We toasted a dishwasher. I think for probably 15 minutes, pieces of dishwasher were falling out of the sky there in the yard. We walked over there, and there were not many pieces bigger than a basketball left. I mean, it was everywhere. We had blown it apart. Uh, and then, then dad, you know, dad just has to think about keeping his yard clean. 
All right, now go pick it up. Well, I didn't intend on that. I just wanted to blow it up. Yeah, but now you got to pick it all up. And, man, I'm telling you, we're out there picking up pieces of a, of a dish. We should have videoed it where I could have showed it to you this morning. For a guy, it was great. You know, blowing up stuff, that's just a guy thing, right? I hope, I hope there's still enough grit in us to want to blow up stuff every once in a while. You know, if not, we're in trouble. But hear me out. Hear me out. The work of restoration. Man, my goodness, picking all of that up, getting all of those pieces back together, it was work. Can I tell you something? It is worth it for a church, listen to me, to do the work to pull everything back together after it's faced challenging times. That's what Paul's saying. Paul says you faced a challenge in 1 Corinthians. You went through a trial in 1 Corinthians. I mean, he was having an affair with his, his stepmom, and then the church was puffed up. They went through all of that. Now, in 2 Corinthians, he says, pull it back together. Get it back together. How do you do that? He says it's through restoration. The question about restoration is this. Listen closely. The work of restoration is determined by the worth of restoration. The work of restoration is determined by the work, uh, the worth of restoration. Meaning, I'm going to put what's back together, what's worth it. It wasn't worth it to me to put the dishwasher back together. It's in a landfill somewhere. Was it worth it to me? Can I tell you what is worth it? Your home. Your home is worth restoration. Your relationship with your children. You say, well, me and my child, we had this falling out. And, man, we hollered and screamed. And my kids hate me and I hate them. It's a mutual relationship. Can I tell you, restoring the relationship with your children is worth the work. Put it back together. I mean, they need their mom. They need their dad. Mom and dad, we need our kids. We need all hands on deck in this fight against the powers of darkness. And the problem this morning is we have too much division, all because the challenging times pulled us apart. What does he say? He says, hey, bring him back in. Restore it. He's calling him to restore. My wife likes antiques. <clears throat> we really call it junk. You people who know what real antiques are, you know, that's from the Gilded Age, you know, and that's from the, the dynasty of this. No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. A while back, my wife wanted a pie safe, and uh, that's probably a good thing to have around our house because when she cooks pies, they're not safe uh, as long as I'm around, so I think that's why they have pie safes. And we went and we bought one at the Lucky Rabbit. Uh, it was an unlucky purchase, though, I'll tell you that. We get it home, and I start stripping it down, and lo and behold, I find the bane of a carpenter's existence particle board particle board one day when I get to heaven if that guy is there which he's probably not but if I get there and that guy's there we're gonna have a talk it's not real wood it weighs more than real wood but it's not so I'm sanding it down and it's particle board and and then next thing you know one of the legs fall off and it's leaning like this I mean how can you put pies in something that's leaning and then the top falls in the shelf has got a swoop in it why I didn't see that when I bought it I do not know I find, look, it is under my carport. I have stripped the paint off of it, but that's as far as I got. You know why? It wasn't worth the work of restoration. Not worth it to me. Forget it. You know what I did? Uh, I saw one on Facebook Marketplace for 150 bucks. Brother Zach went and picked it up for me. It's in our house right now. Hasn't kept any pies safe, but it's still in our house. That one was worth the work of restoration. The other one was too far gone. What a sad thought this morning that there are times that we have relationships in our homes, 
in our marriages, in our churches that we think are too far gone to be restored. Can I tell you, there are some paisas too far gone. There are some old cars that are too far gone. But listen, as a child of God, our relationships should never be put over in the too far gone category. We ought to always be willing to do what? You say, well, man, that guy took his mother, his stepmom, and had an affair with her, and the church was puffed up. Can I tell you something? If they could restore that guy, I don't know of anything we face that can't be put back together if we're willing to do the work. Number one, the call to restore. Isaiah 61 tells us about our God. By the way, if you're saved, this is your father. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about him. The Bible says he binds up the brokenhearted. The Bible says he proclaims liberty to the captives. The Bible says he opens the prison to them that are bound. The Bible says he gives beauty for their ashes, oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You know what that means? That means that our Father is in the restoration business. And by the way, it ought to run in the family. That ought to be the same thing that you and I pick up and learn to do. Hey, I want to restore that person. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Why? Well, because who's he writing to? He's writing to a church. Paul says, listen, you need to restore this guy. You need to put this back together. Oh, I love Psalms 23. You probably know it well. The Bible says, the Lord who is our shepherd, what does he do? He restores our soul. You ever need your soul restored? You ever been spiritually on empty? You ever been in the place where you didn't want to sing? You didn't want to preach? You didn't want to teach? You ever been at that place, didn't want to witness anymore, and oh, your soul was low, and your father restored that? Can I tell you, that ought to be one of our family traits. Why? Because he's writing to a church. He says, you need to restore that. Jeremiah 18.4, beautiful, beautiful picture. The Bible says there was a vessel under construction. The Bible says the vessel that he made of clay, verse 4, was marred in the hand of the potter. Can I tell you, let's stop right there. Can I tell you, there's not a one of us in here this morning are not going to find ourselves marred from time to time. Marred, not as useful, not as attractive. But watch what the Bible says the potter did. So he made it again. He made it again. You know what that means? He restored it. It was worth restoring to him. Now, you know, I've never, I've never made anything out of pottery. One day I'm going to go do that. I think it'd be fun to do. It looks easy, but I'm sure it's not. Boy, it'd just be easy to take that clay and set it to the side. I'm going to get some more clay. Toss that away. You know what? I'm trying to make it. I can't make a vase out of that. Uh, I'm going to play it safe when I go to a, uh, a pottery place. I'm, I'm just going to make a ball. That way I can't mess it up. A nice, hard ball to, to throw at people, you know. I mean... I'm going to get some use out of it. The old song says, I praise the day he didn't throw the clay away. Can I encourage you something this morning? Don't let challenging times create a divide that can't be restored because I promise you the greatest restoration act that ever took place in the history of mankind was restoring me to my father. It cost his perfect sinless son his life. He sacrificed it for me. He rose again from the grave. If that could be restored, there's not a relationship on earth that can't be restored. Number one, how do we choose to overcome challenging times? Notice the call to restore. I want to tell you this before I give you the second point. A restored home is worth the work. Oh, my goodness, listen to me. I know it just seems easier to give it up. You know what? Why don't we just forget this? Why don't we just go our separate ways? It's worth the work to have a home. 
It's worth it. Can I tell you, mom and dad, it's worth the work to restore the relationship with your kids. I know this morning that we can be hard-headed. Amen? By the way, you were a kid once, right? Some of you, I guess, were born adults. No, we know what it's like. It's worth the work to restore the relationship with your kids. Hey, young person, it's worth the work to restore the relationship with mom and dad. Keep working at it. No, they're not perfect, but no, you're not either. Keep working at it. Why? Because it's worth it. Don't put your relationship with your family and with your friends and your neighbors and your church members. Hey, don't put it in the pile of it's too far gone. Why? Because if this guy wasn't too far gone, there's nobody that's too far, far gone. Several years ago, a friend of mine took me rabbit hunting. And I've told you the story. I'd never rabbit hunted with dogs before. Most of my rabbit hunting, I have to be honest, was with a spotlight and a 22. Okay? Just putting it out there. Have to be honest behind the pulpit. Uh, he wanted to take me hunting with rabbit dogs. And so we get out there, and all of a sudden, one of the dogs began running off, and it barked. And after a while, it just kind of went off in the distance. You couldn't hear the dog anymore. He says, well, I'll take care of that when he gets back. I says, what do you mean? He says, he's on a deer. That's not a rabbit he's running. That's a deer he's running because that rabbit's not going to run that far out. He's going to run a short circle. I said, what are you going to do? He says, well, I'm going to teach him a lesson. I'm like, what does that mean? He says, well, one time I had this dog. He never would quit chasing deer. And so finally when I caught up to him, I just shot him. I said, are you kidding? He goes, no, I don't want a deer dog. I want a rabbit dog. He said, I just shot him and took my collar off. I didn't want to lose a good collar. I'm like, my soul, you shot this dog and you thought the collar was worth more than that? I thought to myself, I am never going to step out of line around that guy. You tell me where to shoot, you tell me where to stand, we're going to be fine. Why? I don't want to be like his dog. Think to himself, you know what? He ain't, no good. He ain't a good hunting buddy. You know, take my belt off. You know, here, I got his collar. We're good to go. You never know. Look, it's a Baptist church. You never know about Baptist folks. They'll shoot at you from time to time. He said, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I don't want that dog. It's not worth it. And he just shot him. But boy, folks, sometimes we can be just as heartless with each other. We can. We can. Why do you think the Bible says, Galatians chapter number 6, verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Now, do you know who he's writing to in, in that verse? Another church, the church at Galatia. There's going to be times, challenging times, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 times, when it is a mess, things are not going right, the church is puffed up, but wait a minute, there's 2 Corinthians chapter 2 times where things can come back together, but God's people have to choose what? They have to choose to restore. I don't care how much of a mess it was and how bad it was, we choose to restore. 2 Timothy 4.11 I love the picture that Paul paints here. Here he is about to die. Who does he ask for? Take Mark. Bring him with thee. Do you remember the story about Mark? Paul wasn't too keen on the idea of bringing Mark along. You know, this guy, I don't know about this guy. And now here he is about to die. Watch. Bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. He says it's worth it. Somewhere there was restoration. Number one, how do you choose to overcome challenges? Number one, it's a call to restore. I don't care if you're facing a challenge in your marriage. God's calling you to restore. It doesn't matter if it's with you and your children. God's calling you to restore. There's a, there's a place not far from here. I believe it's not far from here uh, called the Restore. I think it's Habitat for Humanity who has it, the Restore. 
And it's a store where they sell brand new or gently used building products. There was one in Louisiana we used to go to, and uh, we would buy material for our church, couldn't afford a whole lot, and so we'd just buy these used materials for our church. And it was neat, you'd go in there, and you'd find this window, and maybe part of the flange of the window was cracked off. But man, it was still useful. It wasn't a perfect window, but it was a useful window. Or maybe we'd find a gallon of paint. I'll never forget, we were painting our church. We had no money whatsoever. And so we went to Dirt Cheap, and we bought a five-gallon bucket of paint. It was like this khaki color. It was the only color they had. And so we used that five-gallon bucket of paint, and then we realized we needed way more paint, but we had no more money. So what we started doing, started adding water to it. Man, we stretched that five gallons for ten gallons. It was great. Now, it wasn't the color we wanted. It may have been what we liked, but man, hey, we put it to good use. That's what God does for us. We may not be as perfect as we ought to be, and we may not be what somebody else thinks we ought to be, but by the grace of God, we can still be profitable for the ministry if we're what? If we have a spirit of restoration. Number one, how do you choose to overcome challenging times? Choose to restore. Number two, if you would, look down, and all of a sudden he gives us an alternative if we don't. Watch what he says. He goes down and he says to forgive him, restore him. Seek to restore relationships, verse 11, lest, that means or else, Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. First thing they had to choose was to restore. That's something you got to work at, but it's worth it. But then notice he gives them, number two, a concern for the risk. He says, I, I'm afraid that if you don't restore Watch, here's a concern, a risky concern. Paul says, where there is no restoration, you're taking a risk. And watch what he says. Lest Satan should get advantage of us. I went and looked up that phrase and, and read about it in several commentaries, and I love the picture that it gives. The term that we would use today in our society is kind of an idiom. Uh, it's getting the upper hand. You know, back in the ancients, they had a game they would play or a way they would decide who would be in control and who would have the power. And they would hold up a stick and you would put your hand there and, and then they would put their hand there and then you would put your hand there and they would slowly back and forth until they got to the top of the stick. And whoever's hand was at the top of the stick, they had the upper hand. They are now the ones that are in control. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul says when there is no restoration, you're now taking the risk of giving Satan the upper hand, meaning giving Satan the control. You see, when husbands and wives, we don't. Now listen to me. I know sometimes it can't work, all right? I know sometimes no matter what, you do your best, it takes two. I totally get that. But listen to me. For two Christians this morning, and you're in a marriage, and suddenly you decide, you know what, I'm just not going to try, or, or they're not going to try. Can I tell you what's happening? You're giving Satan the upper hand. You're giving Satan the advantage. You're giving Satan the opportunity to do what? To control the narrative. Paul says, I'm calling you to restore this young man. Why? Because of the great risk of giving over control. Do you know why our country this very moment sits in a position of great risk? Can I tell you why? Not because of the politicians and the lost. No, no, no. Not because of the false prophets that are out there. No, no, no. None of that. The reason America sits in a position of risk today is because the church, listen close, refuses to restore our relationship with God. Think about it. 
Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people, then what does he say? I will heal their land. He says, it's my people. My people are not in a right relationship. Listen to me. It's not up to God. God's done everything he can. He sent his only begotten son to live 33 sinless years, to die on a cross and rise again. He's done everything to restore us to him. And this morning, if we're not right with God, it's because we're not choosing to be right with God. We're not choosing to. If my people, what does it say, will they got to be willing to turn from their wicked ways. Yes, even God's people, even the church at Corinth, in order to restore it, what do they have to do? They had to turn from their wicked ways. The risk was giving Satan the advantage. Now, notice, I want you to notice what he says in verse 11. Lest Satan should, watch this word, get. You know, a lot of times we use the word advantage. You know the words we use? Take. Someone took advantage. Someone took advantage of someone. Someone took advantage of something. Notice it didn't say, lest Satan should take advantage. I think this is very important. It says, lest Satan should get an advantage. Get means be given. Satan hasn't taken advantage of America. Satan's been given the advantage of America. Because God's people refuse to restore our relationship with him. We've given him the advantage. We have literally given Satan the upper hand, and now he controls the narrative. You look at our country and uh, all of the, uh, uh, the, the, the uh, abominable reading hours they're having at libraries across our country and marches across our country, and you're thinking, this is just horrible. Listen, the mess is because we're not restored to God. That's why we're in the mess. We refuse to restore our relationship with him. And when we refuse to do that, what happens? Lest Satan should get an advantage over us. Ephesians 4.26, I read this this week in our teacher's meeting. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. That's a hard one, isn't it? I mess up on that one often. Be angry and sin not. Now listen close. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Oftentimes, we refer to this one in husband-wife relationships. The old phrase, and I believe it's a good, a good moniker to have in your home, never go to bed mad. Never go to bed mad, even though you want to be, and even though they might deserve it. Never go to bed mad. Well, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. But listen to what verse 27 says. Neither give place to the devil. Notice. Neither give place to the devil. When we do not seek restoration, we are giving place. We are doing exactly what verse 11 says. We are giving him the advantage of us. Now notice it says, for we are not, verse 11, ignorant of his devices. We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be ignorant. I mean, we have a book right here, thank God for the word of God. That we can go and read about churches just like ours that had people, that had problems, that had challenges. We look and we see families just like ours. Go to the Old Testament, read about some of those families. Oh, they were messed up. You're thinking, my family's a mess and my kids and my husband and all this. Just go read about some of those families in the Old Testament. You'll feel so much better. Because they had train wrecks too. And yet the Bible says, watch. We can read about them and not be ignorant of Satan's 
devices. I was reading the other day in Ephesians chapter 6, where the Bible does tell us to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles is not a word we use very often, but oh my goodness, it has a wonderful meaning. The word wiles of the devil in the New Testament means, the Greek word is methodos. That's where we get our word method from. Do not be ignorant and fall prey to the wiles or the methods of the devil. You say, what are the methods of the devil? All we have to do is read what happened to these churches and he's still operating off the same methods. The same wiles. The same trick. Here's the sad thing. We fall for it. It was like the other day I, I was out, uh, we were out on the lake and uh, I was out fishing with Jojo there on the dock and uh, he had this little bag of stinking bait. I mean, it was stinky. Oh, my fingers stunk uh, after that. A little white bait and we would put it on a little brim hook. We'd drop it in the water and we'd pull it up and we had the world's smallest brim, all right? Some of you pride yourself on how big of a fish you catch. Go try to catch a small one, all right? Uh, that takes more talent. Me and Jojo caught some small ones out there. I mean, very little. I don't even know how they got the hook in their mouth. And so here we are, we dropped the hook down there in the water, pulled it out, caught the world's smallest rim. A few minutes later, put another little white, there's a little bait on there, dropped the water, boom, caught another one. I'm like, didn't you just see your buddy go skyward? Can you imagine what it looks like to a fish down there in the water, and all of a sudden his buddy blasts off? I don't know what he just ate, but when he took a bite of it, he just took off. And fish after fish after fish, just come right out of the water. And you're like, well, man, next time one of those drop in the water, I'm getting me one of those. The sad part is their buddies didn't come back, right? They had to learn from the lesson that, hey, don't be ignorant of the devices. Don't fall for the wiles or the methods of the devil. Why? Because he plays for keeps. He plays for keeps. Paul says to the church at Corinth, watch this. He had a problem back in 1 Corinthians 5. But now the problem's being resolved don't let the challenge divide you. What does he say? Reconcile, bring it together, or why? You ought to be concerned about the risk. Husband and wife, can I just tell you something? I've never seen the level of intensity the devil is attacking everything with right now. I've never seen this. I talked to pastors. I asked them, is this something isolated to my life? They said, no, we're seeing it, we're seeing it. I even talked to missionaries on other continents. The devil is unleashing everything right now. I believe it's because he knows he doesn't have long. He knows he doesn't have long. And he's watching your home. And he's going to do his best to blow that thing apart. And wait a minute. You're not going to take out the garbage and she's going to get mad. Or maybe she's going to burn the meatloaf. And now we give each other the silent treatment over meatloaf. I wouldn't let him get the advantage over us. I would not fall for the wiles or the methods of the devil. Here just a few weeks, a few months. Deer season will kick off. And I know you diehard guys and ladies that hunt out there are already prepping. I hear you talking about it. And those deer have no idea what they're in for. I mean, look, when I was growing up, my dad and I would go hunting. A lot of times we'd go to the Army surplus store to buy our camo. You know, just that Army camouflage, you know, that worked just as good. I got big deer killed those. But now we have that name brand boutique camo. The leafy stuff. We got the stuff that kills all of the smell. And we got the stuff that attracts the deer. We even have cameras out there in the woods that send us pictures on our cell phones. you got to know the Native American Indians would be so jealous of that. They're out there in the woods in the cold trying to chase that deer down. And you're sitting in your recliner. Yep, Frankie's there eating over my corn pile today. 
you got all of these methods. And some of you are going to come home with some big deer this year. I will not because evidently if I come home with a big, big one, I get, I get inflated with pride. And that's why I don't get one. So I only kill little ones, okay? I catch little fish and I kill little deer, okay? You have all of these methods and you're going to be successful. They have no idea what's coming. Could I encourage you this morning to realize Satan has so many methods. He's coming for your home. He's coming for your children. He's coming for this church. He's going to throw everything he can. So what do we do? Watch this. Lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Number two, he said, here's a concern for the risk. You ought to choose not to take the risk. Right now in our country, there's young people dying, literally dying, over a TikTok challenge where they're jumping from boats as they speed across the lake. I think four in Alabama, just a few weeks ago, four died on a TikTok challenge where they challenged them to get going fast in video as they jump from the boat. They're going so fast, they hit the water, it's like concrete, and they break their neck instantly. They're falling prey to this. And we sit back and we think, come on, young people, have more sense than that. That's going to kill you. Don't be ignorant. Yet, can I tell you, I wonder if our father doesn't look down sometimes the same way. Why are you taking the risk? Look, I went tubing last week and thought I was going to die multiple times. I was on a tube with handles. I didn't know that I was going to make it through it. I'm still having to see a chiropractor to straighten out everything that's unstraightened over it. No, just kidding, not having to do that. But it was rough. They were like, young people, don't be ignorant, don't do that. I mean, they're surfing on top of cars now. None of ours, right? Please don't. My wife and I saw some down here at the red light at Elks Lake. People, they get out of the car and they dance around the car, you know, and I just couldn't help but watch. You're thinking, why are you doing this? You're out here in the middle of a highway. Listen, don't be ignorant, it could cost your life. And our father says, don't be ignorant, it'll cost you your family. Hey, when challenging times come through, watch what he says. Number one, restore, stay close, get back together. Number two, he gives us the risk. Oh, it's a dangerous, dangerous game to play. He says, it's not worth the risk. Choose, I'm not going to risk it. not going to risk it. I'm going to be right. Number three, I want to show you the best part. We're going to end on a high note today. Watch how Paul says you go about doing this. How is always the hard part. How do you do this? The Bible says, verse 10, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it, watch this, in the person of Christ. How do you restore? I mean, can I tell you, if I was the pastor first, uh, at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm looking at this guy and this mess and all this, I'm like, ooh, ooh, ooh. you'll never get that back together. And yet now he's showing them how. Now watch this. It's at the end of verse 10. He says, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. So notice the restoration, the forgiveness that was coming there to that church, to that young man. Watch what happened. It happened by following the pattern. You say, well, how do we do this? How do we make sure that challenging times do not pull us apart? Well, here's the answer right here. He did it in the person of Christ. Number three, how do you choose to overcome challenging times? Notice a Christ-like reason. He gives them a Christ-like reason. To put it simple, here's what he says. We can because he did. We can because he did. Because Christ set the example and showed us how to have reconciliation. We can because he did and gives us the power to do it through him. 
Isn't that wonderful? I mean, folks, I mean, have you ever had your feelings hurt or maybe a division in family and you have a, oh, can I tell you, family, we can hurt each other as bad as anybody. Maybe the family reunion, you had a falling out. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because that's probably happened before. Man, that's not, hey, I like the, uh, the potato casserole, you know, with no onions in it. And you put onions in it and you know I don't like onions. I'm never speaking to you again. That's why my wife's family, this is no joke, potato salad. You have onions and pickles, just pickles, no onions or pickles. I always go by the, the no onions or pickles on there. That's the one that I get. I mean, folks, can I tell you something? It doesn't matter. It may be between you and your mom and dad. It may be between you and your husband and wife. It doesn't matter. It could be restored. How do we do it? Verse 10, in the person of Christ. That's the reason, and that's the pattern that we follow to do that. 2 Corinthians 5.18, I'll hurry and we'll be done. The Bible says, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. I promise you, the sin debt that we owed, the division between God and us, that our sins had separated us between us and our God, I promise you, was way bigger than potato salad. Or whatever it is, young person, maybe mom and dad took your phone away. And I know that's a lifeline nowadays, and you're thinking, that just crossed the line, that is the cardinal sin, that is an abomination, I'm never going to be right with mom and dad. I promise you, if you're right with God, if you're saved, that biggest problem you ever had is taken care of. And if that problem can be taken care of, this one can be taken care of too. But how? What does it say? Verse 10, read it again. In the person of Christ. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, here it comes, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Here, here's how he does. Our father says, all right, I'm going to reconcile you to me through my son. Okay, now that you're reconciled, I'm going to give you the ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to show you how to do it. I remember as a kid, my dad teached me to ride a bicycle. My sister had one of those banana seat uh, Schwinn bicycles. Remember those? Blue out in our driveway. So my dad get out there, and he's riding the, the bike around the yard. Didn't look terribly manly on a banana boat, you know. But uh, he was showing me how to do it. And after a while, he put me on it and walked beside me there for a little while. And I'm pedaling it. And everything's going fine. And then he does that horrific thing you do to your children. You let go. You know, nowadays, that's child abuse probably. And after a while, after a while, man, I hopped up on that bike and begin driving it myself. You see, the Bible says he's now given that to us. I showed you how it's done. I did it for you. And now I want you to go do it for others. The ministry of reconciliation. What was it all about? It was all about to restore us to him. And he says, look, if I could restore you to me, you can restore you to anybody else. Ephesians 4.32, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Do you know when I find it hard to forgive somebody, the Holy Spirit, isn't he pesky? Oh, he just reminds me of, I say, I, I can't forgive them over the potato salad. They knew. I've been in Leslie's family 18 years now. I mean, you know, I don't like onions. I can't stand crun crunching into a raw onion. Especially those little mince ones on a McDonald's burger. Cook them, yeah, but man, raw, I can't stand that. Man, they knew better. Yeah, yeah, I'm not coming to another family reunion. Forget that. I'll go to Sam's Club, get me a tub and sit in my house, in my recliner, 
with a tablespoon and eat it all. Holy Spirit says, I, I know that's a big deal to you. Onions, oof. But do you remember that time that you had a sin debt that cost my son his life? And I forgave you of that. And I reconciled you to the Father through that. Yeah, the Bible says, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I'm not saying that's easy to restore. But can I tell you something? Husband and wife, let me say this and I want to close. Husband and wife, if challenging times has cost you closeness, could I beg you to restore? Could I beg you to restore it as much as possible? Why? Because of the risk. Don't give him the upper hand. Don't give him the upper hand. Oh, you give the devil his space and his place, and he will make good use of it. Don't give him the upper hand. Young person, can I just say something to you? As far as I know, we've got some great young people in our church. Thankful for them. Enjoyed spending the summer with them on youth conference and camp. And we've got some good kids. But I don't know what's going on in your heart. And if there's something in there to where the closeness with mom and dad is not what it ought to be, could I just encourage you? Reconcile as soon as possible. Why? Don't give him the upper hand. Don't give him control. You see, you're giving him control. You're giving him the upper hand. You're giving him the power over the entire situation. So I don't know if I can do that. Mom and dad, you know, they're just so old-fashioned. We're supposed to be. That's the rule. One day, you're going to be the old person. And you're going to think back and you're gonna think, yeah, the pastor was right. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter what it is. Restore it. Why? Don't let him get advantage or get that upper hand over you. Husband and wife, mom and dad, listen, somebody else in your family, somebody in the church, listen, there's nothing worth, nothing worth this morning letting Satan get the upper hand in any part of our life, our home, or our church. There's nothing worth that. That's why Paul says, you know what? Ooh, there was a mess back here, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Ooh, what a mess. But you know what? Hey, let's put it back together here in 2 Corinthians because it's worth it for the church. Paul said there's challenging times, but it can be better if you'll just choose that. Choose that. You've got to choose it. To be right with your spouse, you got to choose it. To be right with your parents, you've got cho- to choose it. To be right with each other, you've got to choose that. That I want to be right. Why? I'm choosing to overcome the challenge. How do we do that? Number one, choose to work through it. It's worth it. Number, cho- number two, choose not to risk it. It's not worth it. And finally, choose to overcome it through Christ. Oh, if he could forgive me. How much easier should it be for us to restore, be restored to one another? Amen? Let's stand together, heads bowed, eyes closed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.